Okay, good. Well, welcome to another episode of Amazing Individuals, where we talk to individuals with intellectual disabilities and people that support them. Um, today, we are going to talk to Amanda. She is a Special Olympics athlete from California, as well as an author, poet, and life coach. She has also had some of her work published in Ability Magazine, in Autism Storytelling, National Public Radio, Worldwide Coaching Magazine, Autism Parenting Magazine, and PBS America Portrait. Hi, Amanda, and thank you so much for coming on my show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Could you please tell our listeners where you're from and how long you've been doing Special Olympics? Absolutely. I'm from uh, the Bay Area in uh, California. Um, I've only been doing Special Olympics for about three years. Yeah, I started in 2018. Well, that's good. And what sports do you compete in? Just uh, two sports, but I give them my all. It's bowling and bocce ball. I find bocce ball to be the most fun, the most rewarding. It's I, I find it to be a big stress reliever. Like it's it's really calming to go and like throw that ball and either you know attempt to hit the Polina or get like slightly close to hitting the Polina. But um, and I, I I knew nothing about bocce ball when I signed up for it. So I just figured it was one of those things I would just try. And I ended up absolutely loving it. <laughs> no, I definitely agree. I, I do think that, yeah, it is a stress reliever, you know, I mean, you know, cause you know, you're able to hit something like you said, but it's also, you know, you be, I don't know if you guys practice outdoors, but you know, we do and we, we practice do. Yeah. During, yeah. We practice during the summer. So, you know, it kind of just gives that sense of calming a little bit. So, yeah. And wow. hey, there, there's nothing wrong with getting to hit something. That's why I like <laughs> bowling, you know, when I'm able to hit pins, hey, you get to knock stuff down. So, bam! <laughs> oh, no, I definitely agree. I, I used to be able to do bowling, but then I dislocated my thumb, so I wasn't, I'm not able to do it anymore. So, but oh, wow. I, I enjoyed it, though, when I used to. So, but yeah. Um, how did you get involved in Special Olympics? Yeah, so I actually was recovering from a procedure. I developed a detached retina. I have what's known as retinopathy of prematurity. So my lovely little retina decided to detach. So I went through the painstaking process of getting my retina reattached. And one of the fun parts is you get to spend five days after you get the procedure, you get to spend five days face down in a lovely little contraption and you literally have to sleep like that. And um, as I was recovering from that process, my mom was like, read, she, she read the paper and said they have a track meet at one of the local high schools for people involved in the um, Special Olympics. Do you want to go? And I was like, well, you know, I, I just had, you know, eye surgery, but, you know, why not? So I, I ended up going and I ended up absolutely 
loving it, just watching the high schoolers go ahead and compete and run around the track. But the one thing that really struck me that said I really wanted to do this was at the start of the competition, everybody rose for the Special Olympics oath. And that's when my heart opened. I heard that oath and I said, that's going to be me one day. I want to try it. What do I do? So. Yeah, that yeah, that oath means you know means a lot. And even when I watch you know like regular sports or whatever, you know, and then you see you know it just you know I don't. It's like yeah, it's, I always tell my husband even though you know maybe your favorite team's lost, you know, I always think about the oath and say every both teams played their hearts out, and you know that's all that matters, you know, that they have fun, you know, and you know, and that's kind of how. You know, we have, if you can approach life like that, I think you'll, you know, be successful at whatever you do. So, yeah, absolutely. Especially that last line in the oath be brave in the attempt, um, which means even to, to me anyway, e- even if you fail at something, as long as you're brave and at least trying to attempt it and um, accomplish it, you know, honestly, as, as we say in the, the life coaching world, all is well. I mean, it, it just, it, it fits in so well with how not just Special Olympics athletes, but I think those of us in general just going through life, I feel that all of us should just kind of have a brave in the attempt attitude or even just like a brave in the attempt mindset because we, we, we face these struggles and these obstacles every day, perhaps more so for those of us with intellectual disabilities, but even for those who don't have any type of disability um be, being brave in the attempt is important oh i definitely agree so yeah actually that kind of leads in so one of my next questions so uh, what are some of the things that you do as a disability empowerment coach yeah it, well exactly what exactly what you and I are doing right now that that whole sense and that whole mindset of just encouraging and that whole sense and that whole mindset of being in a a heart space or a soul space and just allowing my clients to just be come as you are you you don't have to be perfect for me that's that's not the point the the point is come as you are and we're going to work through things together I don't like using the word issues, quote unquote, with my client, because it's it's not it's not an issue. It's a different way of doing things. It's a different way of learning. It's a different way of being. It's a different way of conquering a certain obstacle. So I, I think if more people with intellectual disabilities had encouragement and had love and had somebody to on with um, the the presence of joy, I think this this world would be a better, happier um, place and, and experience because so many times when we deal with intellectual disabilities, we're we're counted out a lot. We're we're counted out, you know, quite um, tremendously because. Other people will hear of a certain diagnosis. Oh, this person has Down syndrome. Well, they can't do anything. This person has autism. Well, forget them. This person has cerebral palsy. Are you kidding me? Well, and I, I that, that's the other thing that I love 
so much about the the Special Olympics. And I, I loved being able to go through my coaching program also while being um, fairly active with the the Special Olympics. That was actually the same summer that I got to go to the Summer Games. So I, I think being able to go ahead and intertwine what I learned as a coach, but also being an active participant on the, the field as a Special Olympics athlete, I think that further helped to define my work because I, you know, there, there there's so many coaches out there who work with people who own like, you know, Fortune 500 companies and people who work in companies where they own like scads of money and things like that. And I'm here to work with the, as I call the, the forgotten population, because if we don't stand up for the forgotten population, nobody will. And the, the wonderful thing about being a global ambassador is that I, I get to take the reins and basically say, okay, so this is what we're going to do. And regardless of whether I have autism or not, I'm going to stand up for myself and I'm going to be that light and that grace and the presence in the world that we are lacking. I'm going to go ahead and take that mirror and invite others without disabilities to go ahead and look at what they've been missing. They've been missing the mark when it comes to people with intellectual disabilities, and it's time for that to stop. So, oh, I definitely agree, especially um, with COVID now too. It's like you know they talk about. In my feeling is that we need to advocate. It's more important for us to advocate for ourselves um, now than ever because if you hear everybody in the news, they're all just they're talking. There's more coverage about you know, like seniors or everybody else, but they're not really talking about, you know, our population, you know, the people with, you know, intellectual disabilities that much and how it affects, you know, us. Cause I know, I don't know about you guys, um, but I know like some of our friends, it's like, you know, it just kills them not to be able to be as active or not to be part of our sports or, you know, do, you know, have that routine. Um, Absolutely. I, I think that that's kind of the, the effect in the feel um, really, really nationwide, possibly countrywide in terms of um, the Special Olympics and the Special Olympics athletes, because those of us within the Special Olympics, I, I can speak for myself that I don't see it as like something stressful and I don't re- you know necessarily see it as a job. I see it as fun and I see it as a way to go ahead and make friends. And I see it, you know, as I mentioned earlier with bocce ball being such a a stress reliever. So I I really loved, you know, a couple of years ago, being able to step into my power and be trained as a, um, uh, an ambassador and really getting to find my voice in the community of those of us with intellectual disabilities, because I absolutely love just like advocating through my poetry and advocating through um, just this, excuse me, the the struggles that are associated, quote unquote, with people who have intellectual disabilities. So being able to be a voice for the organization was truly a godsend. And I, you know, really enjoyed going through the training and still continuing to go through additional trainings here in California, because I want to be able to grasp as much of the, the knowledge that I can, because I, I, I enjoy being an activist. Yeah. And it just seems like to me, it's like, you know, when you are an activist or like, you know, you know, we're an ambassador or whatever, and you know, it just gives you a chance to 
give back a little bit and then also maybe to help others that maybe are afraid to use their voice in, you know, a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, one, one of the reasons why I went ahead and, you know, reached out to you as well. And, you know, one, one of the things I love about um, two of my program staffers here in Northern California, uh, Tyler, who's our PR person, he also runs the athlete leadership program and Amanda, who runs our healthy athletes program. Now the two of them, everybody needs a Tyler and everybody needs an Amanda, especially in the special Olympics corner, because both of them are just so loving and open, open and, and just, you know, generous with the, the feedback that they give me. And just, I, I joke around with my friends all the time. I was joking around with one of my friends who's um, a, a coach in my area. And I said, I said with those two, I said, they don't even have to worry about like um, finding like speaking opportunities for me because I'm usually the one who's like texting them with, oh, I just got this opportunity or I just decided to message this athlete on Facebook and I heard they had a podcast and just decided to. I, I love being able to invite them to the work that I'm doing. Oh, no, definitely. I think that it shows, you know, our programs, you know, that our athlete, athlete leader and things, it shows, you know, when you reach out like that, it kind of think it shows them the determination you have, you know, um, and that the, the willingness to, you know, get the word out. So I think that, you know, that kind of helps too. So well, Absolutely. I, I, I just want to do as much as I can on this platform as possible. And, you know, that that's why I'm not shy about reaching out. I know that there are, you know, other, you, you know, there, there are different levels of being like, you know, an ambassador. There are some who are more laid back and then there are some who are more outgoing, which is, which is great. I love how, just like when we play our sports, we have our, our different levels, we have our different divisions, we have our different categories for how far, you can go. And I think it's the same thing for the athlete leadership program. It was really interesting when I walked into the, the training a couple of years ago, we were on a break and I went up to Tyler, who was conducting the pro, who was conducting the training. And I said, um, hi, Tyler, I know you and I just met and, you know, great class and everything. However, I just want to know how the heck do I get on a billboard for the special Olympics? <laughs> And, you know, he, he laughed a little bit and said, you know, just um, look at, look out for opportunities, but I, I was dead serious. And I think they, they they pretty much know that I was, you know, serious, you know, given by like the, the actions, because I'm, I'm always, you know, doing something to go ahead and promote the special Olympics. So one of the things I decided to do was officially go ahead and branch out. And I said, I'm going to check out and see what some of the other states are doing to, to see, you know, what, what California can, can learn from, from this. That's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Illinois, I'm in Illinois and we're well, actually branching out. We're working with, uh, we're collaborating with some things with Maryland. So that kind of helps out, you know, and I think it does help when you kind of reach out to different programs because you see what they're doing and you see what you're doing and see how maybe you can, you know, improve the program a little bit. So, Right, right. And and you mentioned that you're you're also working with Maryland. I um, randomly reached out to Special Olympics Maryland <laughs> and I've also been working with uh, Maryland's program as well. So they've uh, interviewed me a couple of times and invited me to events. So 
In fact, that may have been how I actually found that may have been how I actually got connected <laughs> with you, I believe. Yeah, it might have been and Jason or somebody might have, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. It yeah. was it was it was Jason. I believe yeah. he posted uh something about you and I was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a nice guy. So yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, um I wanted to get and talk to you about a little bit of how you became a poet and how it felt to get your poems published. Yeah, yeah. So I was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder in 2016. And I wasn't quite sure how I was feeling about my diagnosis at that time. So I was in my room one night and grabbed a pen and paper or a cell phone, whichever one is more convenient, and began writing just randomly out of the clear blue. I had such an influx of emotions, sadness, joy, anger. I received my diagnosis of autism at the age of 26. And, you know, that's, that's, that's late. You know, yeah, the, the I research. Got, yeah, yeah, I got, I got mine when I was in my thirties, I think so. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. you're, you're right around there with, with me. Um, you know, the, the research indicates that females on the autism spectrum, they're diagnosed, you know, a little bit later, but this is, you know, well for, for us well into adulthood. So it's like, what's right. been going on for all this time? So it, it, it really set off a light in my mind that I was going to take this diagnosis and learn to do something with it that would be so positive. And I remember at some point, actually, no, I, I was at a church event for Halloween and I mentioned to one of the parents of another child with autism, you know, I just got diagnosed uh, as being on the autism spectrum. And she said, um, my son is part of the Special Olympics print out the application and I, it, it didn't happen at that time. It didn't, it wouldn't happen until like two years later. Um, so yeah. And then how did it feel to get, have your poems published? Oh, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Very, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. I, I think my first publication was, um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Um, uh, newspaper in Berkeley, the, the Berkeley Times, that, that was my first real publication. And a, a good friend of mine, uh, Alexander Singh, um, was the gentleman that we mentioned earlier that I was actually engaged to, mm -hmm. but um, he's super wonderful. He told me to submit to the Berkeley times. And I did, I was elated to see my, my words and my name in print. And I said, I want to do this again. So after that, I began submitting to my, my church. We come out with, you know, a monthly or excuse me, a, it's a, you know, bulletin that we have, for you know all the, the Sundays that we attend. So my pastor suggested that, well, I'm gonna put it in the first Sunday. So I have uh, several spiritual poems in there. I, I submitted so many of those. I recently just collected those and you know just cut them out and stuck them all in a, a binder. So 
that that was a lot of fun. So that's a little bit how I got started with, you know, publishing poetry. And then I, uh, I I really wanted to branch out. I said, well, if that works, then I know they have poets on the radio. And I would go with my dad Saturday mornings to run errands with him. And I noticed that they had, um, you know, various programs that would come on NPR. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get on NPR one day. And I said it, I, I kept saying that and kept throwing it into the atmosphere until it finally happened. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's always good to, you know, and to have a goal and, you know, that way you can, you know, set your, you know, and to meet it. So that's a, you know, a good thing. So um, during this time of COVID, um, do you, are there anything, are there any struggles that, you know, maybe, you know, you struggle with more than if you wouldn't, if we didn't have COVID? Yeah, I, I think much like, you know, many, many of the, the athletes have come to me and said, I, I feel isolated. I feel scared. I feel hopeless. I think many of us are, you know, feeling the effects of that for, for me, I, I, I went to my poetry and, and began writing, you know, different, uh, you know, poems about how I was feeling about being isolated and, you know, different topics that come with um, just being on lockdown when you're on the autism spectrum. That's a whole different can of worms, but definitely something that needs to be addressed. Um, I, I miss, to, to be honest with you, the thing that I really miss is I, I miss being in, in my church. I, I miss being with my, my church family, honestly. I mean, you, you, you can call them on the phone. You can text them all night if you want to. But there, there's, to me, nothing like worshiping in, in a sacred place. Um, you know, we, we have online services and everything, but it's, it's, it's not the same, you know. I, I find myself, you know, really struggling with that and just trying to get acclimated to what my Sundays look like, because it's really something that I, you know, look forward to because, you know, with the condition, with my vision and with my autism and everything, I, I don't drive. So it's really, you know, truly one of the things I look forward to or looked forward to. Um, because we would, you know, have a church service and then I would grab like a group of friends and we would go out and have like a two hour lunch date. And when, when that was taken away from me, it was one of the things that was, you know, really hard to, to cope with because you, you miss everybody. You miss that fellowship. You miss that time to commune with God. You miss the interactions that you have. Oh, I definitely agree. I think that the you know, there's one thing to do everything like on Zoom or online and things, but to to have that interaction with people, you know, is, um, you know, the best thing, you know, because, you know, I think that, you know, not just people with intellectual disabilities, but I think everybody needs that, you know, but I think it's a lot, you know, harder for people like, you know, us that, you know, a, you know, struggle with that even without COVID, you know, but to have that taken away, that kind of, you know, makes it, extra, you know, 
extremely hard then. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, do you think that women have a harder time than men with, you know, that have intellectual disabilities or do you think it's about the, about the same? I, I would say, I would say it's about equal, um, you know, about, about the same because again, society looks at those of us with intellectual disabilities in a certain way. And, you know, they, they write us off before we even really get started. They make assumptions before we even open our mouths. So in, in this case, and I could be completely wrong. I'm not a researcher of this particular topic, but I, I feel that equally across the board, because you have an intellectual disability, you have someone who's judging you all the, <clears throat> excuse me, you have someone who's judging you all the time. So it's really up to you to go ahead and make or break that mold and make or break that stereotype. So that's one of the things that I really enjoy doing. I really enjoy <laughs> proving the naysayers wrong. And I'll say that with confidence because I've done it so many times, starting from the time that I was born, when they said I was supposed to be institutionalized for disabilities. And that never happened. Another assumption that they had after I was born that I, I would only live past three days. Of course, that didn't happen. And then, of course, you had the talk of being institutionalized after that. And then that never happened. So I enjoy making naysayers look foolish with these types of scenarios because they 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 don't know. Oh, no, I definitely agree. It's like, you know, they think that in my view, like when I was growing up, it was like they didn't want us to be seen. So they, you know, would, you know, put us in separate, try to put us in separate classrooms and things, you know, and, you know, luckily for me, and it sounds like for you too, you know, I had a good family structure that, you know, fought for me to be, you know, no, you're going to, you know, I wanted to be with regular, you know, with not regular people, but, you know, with um, every student, you know, so, you know, but I think it, it does make it hard when, you know, society doesn't you know, see people and they, you know, even when you, like you said, when you come out of the womb, it's like, you're already being judged, you know? So you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're being judged. You're, you're being labeled. The the one thing that I can say, I'm so thankful for. So it's, it's just two of us, just my sister and I, and then my, my parents, but I, I would say, you know, my, my mom specifically, she, she pushed me. My, my mother's a very strong black woman who just didn't take no for an answer. And, <clears throat> you know, my, my dad is from uh, Trinidad. So, you know, he's right there supporting everything that my mom said. And, you know, my, my sister and I were only 19 months apart. So for me growing up, it would be um, for, for me to just, oh, well, let, let me keep up with what Ashley's doing. If she's learning to ride a bike, then my mom would go out and buy me a bike too. If, if Ashley's, you know, participating in ceramics, then I would be in, you know, the ceramics class too. It doesn't matter if my art didn't look as well as hers or anybody else's. It's just the fact that I'd be able to do those things. And I was in, you know, the church choir as well. Um, you know, even with my limited vision and the fact that, uh, you know, I can't really sing, but it's, it's just, 
those opportunities, which I think that we should be afforded and, and allowed. And for, you know, this case, it doesn't matter how well you do at the task. It's more of just acclimating you into that, that focus and that flow of being able to do what you see your general is your general peers doing. Oh, I agree. And I think that, you know, if they, you know, that if people allow us to try it, you know, and if maybe we need somehow extra help, like, you know, doing something, but we can still try it. And, you know, they, you know, and, you know, and, and some things, you know, we might be better at than, you know, some other people. So just because we have a disability doesn't mean, you know, that we're not great, good at doing something or that we can't do anything at all. So, but, you know, that's just, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, that's one of the reasons why I became like, a, why I wanted to become like an athlete leader is, you know, because it just makes me so frustrated knowing you know that people prejudge you all the time so you know and then when like i'm going to become a health messenger in a couple of weeks and you know because to me it's like you know when you go to a doctor's office it's like kind of they prejudge you as well so you know yep. so you know it's nice when you can advocate for yourself so it is it is um you know you're you're gonna have fun with the health messenger program i completed it back in october learned some good things learned some um helpful diet tips that i can actually take back to some of my coaching clients many of the parents are um you know looking to me for that wisdom what do you think about this what do you think about that you hear about you know several different uh, recipes that you can use for people who are on the autism spectrum so i look forward to going and trying you know, just, just navigating with these, these parents and, and seeing what we, what we come up with in terms of health and in terms of nutrition for um, people on the, the autism spectrum. Yeah. And then, and what's interesting is I found out from the, the person actually that um, was, is in charge of our athlete leadership in our here in Illinois, she had mentioned that um, she learned that when uh, students go to medical school, they're only like I think she said there was only like two weeks that they spend on how to treat people with intellectual disabilities, which I think is so sad. You know, I mean, they should. You know. <laughs> I know, right? Well, I mean, I, mean I, I believe it because you know, in some cases they look at you like you're foreign territory. In some cases they look at you like you grew a second head. In some cases right. they look at you like you're from planet Zootblah. Right. I don't know. Right. Well, and especially, you know, during this time of COVID, it's like, it, it's so hard because, you know, I mean, a lot of places, I mean, like here, we're just now being able to have somebody go with us if we're sick enough to go to the ER, you know, but before, you know, they would, they wouldn't let you in with, you know, with anybody else, you know, and I had a couple of friends that would go in and they would see them as having um, intellectual disabilities and depending upon what they were sick with, you know, they kind of were like, pushing them off to a corner so or not wanting to you know treat them so right um. I, uh, <laughs> I mean I, I I don't know I I think that there needs to be more of a, a push and a a pull for those of us who need like the the extra help due to our disabilities to to have like those of us who have like you know 
aides or caregivers or whatever, you know, terminology you want to use to, to have them, you know, really be a part of our support plan. I went to a doctor's appointment on Monday and this had been really like my first time, you know, leaving the house in literally months because I haven't gotten the the vaccine yet. So this was really my first time leaving the house in, in months. And, uh, you know, I, I heard my sister down the hallway telling, I, I guess she was one of the, the nurses or perhaps one of the coordinators, you know, my, my sister's vision impaired. Am I allowed to sit with her until she goes back there? So she, she did. And, you know, all is well, we got, we got everything done, but it's, you know, it's true it's, right now. It's a feeling of loneliness. It's a feeling of isolation. It's a feeling of, uh, what what happens next and you know as as we know people with disabilities we need those support persons a lot of us do those support personnel to you know accompany us to the doctor's appointments or accompany us to the grocery store or accompany us to wherever so we we need to we need to do something <laughs> oh i definitely agree so well, thank you for joining me today. Um, before we end, I just have one last question, and then I was wondering if you could share uh, a poem with us too. So, absolutely. All right. So, um, the question I would like to follow up is: um, if you could give any advice to people with um, intellectual disabilities, what would it be? Keep going. <laughs> that's, Keep that's good. That's good advice. Don't stop don't let your disability be a hindrance to what you're going to do in life. If I know if that had happened to me, then I wouldn't be where I am. I I have a very good um, friend of mine, uh, Judy human. I don't know if you saw her documentary crip camp. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk quite often actually. And I was actually texting her and I said, you know what? I said, you are an absolute rebel in everything that you do. And I said, I just want to thank you for the, for the foundation that you laid so you can allow me to go ahead and rise up and rebel in the poetry that I write. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, I wasn't, at first I wasn't sure when I was watching it, you know, and you know, what direction it was going to go. Cause there's sometimes yeah. when those kind of documentaries go a different direction and, you know, and so, but I, it was really enjoyable and it was, it was neat to see how that movement, you know, you know, started. So, you know, got started. So, and it made me, like you said, it made me feel proud to continue, you know, and to use my voice to, you know, advocate for other people as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's awesome. I, I enjoy the work that, you know, she's done. Um, same thing, you know, the, the work of Eunice Kennedy Shriver with the special Olympics. I, I love the fact that major disability movements were headed by women. And I just oh. noticed that. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, you know what, well, I'm, I'm going to rise up and keep this movement going because women we can and we will. Right, right. It's like, you know, I think, you know, you see, you know, like leaders, like even like the president or whatever, you know, the United States, you know, being men, but then, you know, now we have like a vice president that's a woman, 
Absolutely. You know, and, you know, that kind of, you know, but like you said, like in Unitron, you know, Unitron kind of, you know, starting this whole, you know, movement, you know, and, you know, it just kind of gives you hope for, you know, that you just don't have to be, you know, it's not just men that can start in making a change and starting things. So, yeah. Well, thank you for joining me today. And like I said, I think if you'd like, you know, we could end by maybe having you, you know, recite one of your poems. Sure. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. All right. Thank you so much for having me. And I will end with this. It's a fairly recent poem of mine called Spread the Word. Spread the Word. Spread the word all around the globe. We no longer have to be discriminated against for our disabilities. When you see someone with autism, make them shine. Spread the word. You can no longer call me out of my name. So I ask that you kindly refrain. Protect our vocabulary from such heinous language. The R word is like a snake spewing venom. It breaks hearts. It will dehumanize us all. Spread the word. It's like poison to our souls. It needs to stop. We are better than this. Spread the word. The word retarded has no place among us. Thank you. Well, thank you. And um, it was great to have you on my show today. And hopefully we can stay in touch. So, And I look forward to maybe working with you sometime in the future, you know, and maybe hopefully in person sometime, you know, so. Absolutely. Let's, yeah. let's do it. Um, I, on a, a final note, I run a poetry night. We're definitely looking into expanding. So I will definitely um, connect with you when we decide to get that up and going. Perhaps you'd like to come recite some poetry or you can just hang out with us. Um, oh, that'd definitely. be, yeah, that'd be cool. I guess I, the only time I've been to California was when what was it? Yeah, when my um, aunt and uncle used to live in uh, Fresno. So, you know, that I've only been been there once, so I haven't got a chance to go back. So Nice, nice. This is this is through Zoom. So you can, you know, feel free to join us on mm -hmm. uh, Zoom. But uh, definitely. Yeah. When you come back to California, let's hang out in person. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I My husband was born in Oakland, but he doesn't remember it. But he was he was born in California. So he you know, he wants to go back sometime and, you know, kind of see what it's like as well. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went to a uh, university in Oakland. So cool. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. Well, thank you very much. I, you know, appreciate it and hope you enjoy the rest of your day. So Absolutely. You as well. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.